Hello and welcome to episode 361 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you're hearing this show on Monday, August 1st, 2022, you can get on our next episode by emailing us today with any questions you have. Our email is help at thinkinglsat.com. We will be recording tomorrow, and that's always the case. So if you're a day one listener, you can get on next week's episode by emailing us today. The next registration deadline is Thursday, September 1st. That's for the October 2022 LSAT. You can always find these dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. We had an email today from somebody who was registered for, for both August and September and just clearly wasn't ready for either of them. Mm -hmm. You really shouldn't be registering for these tests unless you know you're ready based on your practice test scores. So that's why we're always going to give you these registration deadlines. If you've been doing practice tests and you feel like you're going to be ready for the October 22 test, then you can take you can register by Thursday, September 1st. But if you don't know whether you're going to be ready, then don't waste two hundred and fifteen dollars registering for a test. Excellent. On Thursday, August 11th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, Nathan is going to be teaching a class. It's a free class, so all you need is a Demon Free account. If you've never sat in on a class with Nathan, here's your chance. It's in Zoom. Um, the class is the LSAT is easy, and I'm assuming, Nathan, you're just going to show every, everybody how the LSAT makes sense, how it is based on common sense. Yeah. And, and in that class, we talk about why they test what they test mm -hmm. and it really should make sense. I mean, the people who make the, who make sense out of the LSAT, the LSAT makes sense. The people who make sense of it are the yep. type of people who are likely to make sense out of law school and make sense out of legal matters for their clients and therefore be successful in the law. So our whole thing is about making the LSAT easy, making or letting the LSAT be easy because it is easy. And it's just all about how, hey, this is why they're asking you what they're asking you. This is how it makes perfect sense. I hope everybody will come to that class. All you need is a demon free account. You can sign up for that at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. If you can't make that particular time, don't worry, just go to that link and sign in with your demon free account and you can watch the recording. On the show today, we had a mailbag of sorts. We had a bunch of people write in. One thing that stuck out to me because I put it on the agenda was renaming the 100% rule to the 2X rule. That basically just means that if a law school is, if you're looking at two law schools, and the higher rank school, or the, I'm sorry, the lower rank school is not twice the ranking of the higher rank school, then don't consider their rankings when deciding between those two schools. Beautiful. Um, anything else that stuck out to you? No, we, well, we applied that to our first email, which was from Anna, who is an excellent applicant, and she was worried about getting yield protected at Penn. Yeah. And then she was asking some questions about, well, what if I what if I apply to Harvard, Yale, Stanford and would it be worth it for me to pay for those schools? And so then it kind of dovetailed naturally into our 2X rule discussion. Great. Um, are we looking for new teachers? We're always looking for new teachers. Uh, if you are a podcast listener and a demon student 
and you killed the LSAT like so many of our students do uh, and got a 170 something, you can send me a screenshot of your official score report and a video of you teaching a logic game or you uh, working your way through a logical reasoning question. We need to be able to see your face and see how you present yourself while you're teaching. Uh, you can just email that to me directly, Nathan at lsatdemon.com. Onto the show. Uh, let's jump into this email from Anna. We, you got it? Yep. It says, Dear Ben and Nathan, thanks for all you do on the podcast and with the demon. I'm sending in my applications this September with a 4.0 UGPA and a 177 LSAT score. I'm applying widely and my goal is to work in New York big law. I have two questions about my application process. One, my first choice is University of Pennsylvania Cary Law School. It has one of the best big law placement rates in the country. It's also by far the best law school in Philadelphia, where my husband and I currently live in a house that we own and where my husband has a location-bound job that he loves. Of course, we'll make it work if we have to relocate so that I can go to the best law school possible for the best price. But damn, going to Penn would be a dream come true. And LSATdemon.com forward slash scholarships says I even have a chance at a full ride there. However, I've heard in multiple places that Penn has a reputation for rejecting some candidates who are above their 75th percentile for UGPA and LSAT, which I am, as a means of yield protection. How can I demonstrate to them that they're my first choice without applying early decision, as I don't want to hurt my scholarship chances? Is a supplementary essay enough, or are there ways to use an addendum or other creative solutions to communicate my interest? My response immediately is, "Why you live in Philadelphia. Why don't you go there and make some friends? Absolutely. Yep. I mean, campus visit. We don't we don't recommend normally like flying across the country to go visit a bunch of schools, especially if you're applying super broadly. But when you have this one obvious best fit law school, you have real reasons to want to go to Penn. Even if you maybe do end up paying some tuition to go there, but I think you shouldn't not with your 4.0 and your 177. I think you should definitely go to Penn. I think you should definitely get a hefty scholarship there. And I, I think you're maybe worrying too much about yield protection and you shouldn't worry about yield protection at all if you go show your face around there and meet yeah. some people. Schedule, schedule a tour, um, be friendly, talk to the people there, remember their name, ask them legit questions about Penn or the application process that you can't find online. Sit in on some classes. Yeah. Ask Usually if you can do the readings. Mm-hmm. Show genuine interest, you know, in talk about your situation, your husband, you how close you are to Penn. You can probably show up at professor's office hours and stuff. You live there, so there's nothing stopping you from wandering onto the Penn campus. I mean, you know, check in with security or whatever if they have that. But you might be able to just like wander around in the buildings and Go find a professor who's into the type of thing that you think you want to do. I mean, hopefully you have some particular interest, not just big law, but, you know, something. And, and I don't know, you could just go kind of knock on some doors and shake some hands. Go ahead, Ben. 
Yeah, I was also going to say that a lot of these schools, and I don't know Penn's application exactly, but a lot of these schools have optional essays, and some of them are, why are you coming to Penn? It's a perfect opportunity to explain your connection to the community, your desire to go into big law, and so on. So yeah, these reasons you just gave us. <laughs> yeah. Look, look closely at their early decision program because, you know, we shit on early decision generally, but maybe they have a, a an early decision program that includes a scholarship. Sometimes they, they have do, guaranteed scholarships. Yeah. Yep. And it's mm -hmm. harder to get in via that program. But if you don't get in, then they roll you over to the regular admission um, cycle anyway, usually. So read all that fine print and consider maybe actually applying early decision. But. Yeah, you're you're such a good fit for that school since you live there. You want to go in big law. They're a big law law school. Your husband is happily employed. You own a home. I mean, it, it, you're you're just a natural fit for that school. So they're not going to deny you because of yield protection. Not if see. Yeah, you need to let them know. That you're rooted in the community, you're not using them as a pawn. For some bigger application. Well, I actually want to go to Harvard, so I'm going to try to get a, or Columbia or NYU. So I'm going to try to get a competitive offer from Penn. They're going to see that that's not the case with you. Yep. All right. Number two says, for the sake of curiosity, my second question assumes I don't end up at Penn. I probably won't qualify for merit aid at schools like Harvard, Yale and Stanford. I mean, do they even offer merit aid? I don't think they do. But I'm still applying to those schools. If I get into one of them, I will most likely have to pay sticker if I decide to attend. No, oh, unless, yeah, unless you can get financial aid, right? There. Yeah, which, I mean, I heard from a, a Harvard, one of our alums who is starting Harvard this fall, who was thrilled when he got his uh, financial aid offer because yep. it had all types of need-based Grants, not loans, mm -hmm. need-based grants. That's uh, money at least that for they the first year. Yeah. Yep. And he was like, holy shit. I mean, I'm barely paying anything for my first year at Harvard Law School. That's amazing. So these schools that don't give need, uh, they don't give merit-based aid, really. They do give a ton of need-based aid. And who knows? I mean, maybe if your house is worth too much money, they're not going to give that to you. But maybe they will. So maybe you don't will. really yep. know. Um. On the podcast, you've mentioned a lot of demon alums and teachers who have gone on to these schools. So I'd guess that many of these people are paying for law school. Yes, they are. Does your advice about paying for law school become more nuanced when dealing with students who have big law ambitions and the opportunity to attend a school like Yale? Thank you for yes. any thoughts and advice you may have best, Anna. Yeah. Why is our answer to that? Yes. Well, uh, you're dealing with exceptional schools and the people who go to these schools go into them usually knowing exactly what the return on investment is, right? They're going to Harvard and then they're planning to go into big law or they're planning to get a federal clerkship and then go into big law at an even higher salary rate. So although the price of these schools is very high, the real problem, <laughs> well, it, they're still too high. But the real problem, I think, is that most other law schools, which aren't exceptional, charge Harvard, Yale, and Stanford rates. So while Harvard, Yale, and Stanford might be able to give you a return on that investment, other schools are charging the same, but they can't. Oh, I mean, a school that's ranked 
50th in the country or a hundredth in the country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. still charges essentially exactly the same as Harvard, Stanford, Yale. And yeah. they love to compare themselves to lower ranked schools. So they love to be like, well, you know, we're a we're a national law school ranked 50th in the country. And so, you know, you you definitely want to come here to UC Hastings, not uh, not Golden Gate or USF, because those are yeah. regional schools. They're fine yep. schools. They're just regional schools. And you you want to go to Hastings because Hastings is a national law school. Yeah. And then they charge these national law school prices without giving you nearly the kinds of certainty of big incomes that you would have going to Harvard, Stanford, Yale. You go to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, you're a shoe in for big law. Yep. I mean, it's like no brainer. Like you're (laughs) almost everybody who goes there has the opportunity for a federal clerkship or immediate big law job. If they want to. Now, if that's not what you want to do, then maybe that that cost doesn't make sense, but you can pay for it. (laughs) Yeah, but you'll be making two hundred thousand dollars a year if you go to those schools. Yep, And with that kind of an income, you know, you can more credibly pay off your loans. And so it's far less of a big deal. But man, you go to Hastings, <laughs> you might not practice law at all. Or I mean, you might practice big law, but you're like a 50 50 at best at a school like that. And that's just way too much risk. Yeah. I mean, let's say your chances go to 50 percent and they're almost 100 percent at Harvard, Yale and Stanford. That means it should be half the price. <laughs> For that return or somewhere close to that, because you're going to get some return on Hastings, but not anywhere close to what you'd be getting at Harvard, Yale and Stanford. So why uh, the heck are the prices so high? Half the price at most. (laughs) Yeah, because there are. Keep in mind, Harvard, Yale and Stanford are already too high. I mean, the the price of education has way has gone way, way out of control. And the downside is way worse than Mm -hmm. the upside is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, you know, like, sure, you can go to Hastings and get a big law job. But if you don't go to Hastings and get a big law job, there's a lot of intermediate that involves a lifetime crushing amount of debt and potentially just misery. Like it's it's you, you it's not like, oh, if I don't make it, you know, to the top echelon, I'll still be, you know, solidly fine. No, you're impoverishing yourself to do this. So it's just like Russian roulette. It's like a it's just like a one of the outcomes can be so, so bad. But those bad, bad outcomes just that doesn't happen at the at the truly national, truly elite law schools. Mm -hmm. That downside is just very rare. To be clear, we're not saying that these schools are worth it. We're just saying (laughs) that there is an exception to our rule to not pay for law school. And um if you understand what you're getting into and you see the cost and you know your likely returns, then a lot of people make that decision and it makes so much sense. So you should still consider all your other offers, right? That's Absolutely. why you still need to apply early, broadly with your very best LSAT. And then if you get into Harvard, Stanford, Yale, great. But, you know, you've also got these nice offers from these other schools. And it's like, well, boy, my risk is seriously limited over there. Yep. What if I go to Michigan for free? Okay, well. <laughs> Plus stipend? Yeah. You can probably still get your return on that one. You can, <laughs> If you know what you're doing, you can go to Big Law and through Michigan, of course. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing that we keep coming back to over and over is that the decision that you're making is never the difference between, you know, Harvard, 
and Hastings. No, the, the decision you're always making is the decision between Harvard and Michigan or Harvard mm-hmm. and UCLA or Harvard and Georgetown. Or it's like, yeah, Harvard and some other really well-respected school. Yep. And then then now it becomes a close call. Yeah. All right. You put this on the agenda. You want to rename. This is perfect timing for this topic. Oh, thank you, Anna, by the way, for writing in. Yep. So we've been talking on the show about the 100 percent rule for law school rankings. And you decided you don't like the name of that. You want to call it the 2x rule. Actually, this is kind of funny. I like the name. The name is easy to say. Oh, the 100 percent rule, the 100 percent rule. But what is it ultimately? It's just taking the higher ranked school and doubling it and seeing if the lower ranked school is still within that range. So I think it's easier to talk about it or explain it as the 2x rule. You just take the higher ranked school, for example, a school ranked 10, which happens to be Michigan right now. You multiply that by two, you get 20. So any school that's 20 or lower falls within the 2x rule. Okay, I I like that. Um, I wonder if it has decreased application as we get further down into the rankings. Nah, maybe not. I mean, because are 40 and 80 really that different? I guess they're different enough that you could think about it. You could think about it, right? Because all the rule yeah. does is it allows you to consider rank if they fall within, if the lower ranked school falls within the 2x rule, if it's less than twice the ranking or twice the poorness of the higher ranked school, then don't consider ranking when deciding between those. Rankings should influence your decision to choose one school over another only when they differ by twice as much or more. So, for example, number 10 Michigan and number 17 Vanderbilt are ranked the same for application purposes. But number 10 Michigan and number 20 USC might be different enough to consider their rankings. Even then, rankings are still relatively unimportant, so consider them cautiously. Yeah, we don't want you to think about the rankings very much at all. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that you are going to think about the rankings, uh, we want you to be thinking about this 2x rule first. And if it's not 2x, then we just don't care. Yep. Cool. You want to read this email from Hassan? Yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Hope you're having a great day so far. I want to ask you about the fee waiver program with LSAC. I was browsing through LSAC and saw that in specific tiers, LSAC will cover some LSAT tests and can help cover applications to specific law schools. I want to know if there would be any kind of discrimination or it could affect my chances to get into specific law schools if I was in the fee waiver program. Never heard of anybody discriminating because of financial need. I don't think there's any way that the law schools possibly know that you were in the fee waiver program. If that were the case, we would have heard about it by now. And that would be like totally scandalous. I mean, they're not even allowed to know if you had extra time on the LSAT. I can't imagine that they would be allowed to know that you that you got a fee waiver. Matter of fact, for years, we've been telling people that if you do get the fee waiver, you should tell law schools intentionally so that you can get them to waive their application fee or maybe waive their LSAC report fee or waive whatever fees. Um, no, I, I they're, they're not going to discriminate against you on those grounds. Yep. Hassan continues. Also, I haven't previously used any study material or paid for any subscriptions for my LSAT prep. 
The demon was the first study material I used and I got a 128 on my first test. I've heard on the podcast that 128 is a clear understanding that I do not understand the material. I was very confused as to why I got that score. I looked at the explanations and realized that I really had to think about the problem. <laughs> Stop there. I want to read that again. I looked at the explanations and realized that I really had to think about the problem. Yeah. What were you doing before? <laughs> well, that's but I mean, every student at every level. We have the same conversation. I, half of what I do is you need to read that more carefully. And wh what's your rationale for that? Yeah. You need to read it again because that's not what it says. I understand your argument in on behalf of that answer, but that's not what the answer says, or that's not what the argument says, or that's not what the question says. And you it's on you ultimately to figure that shit out. It all makes perfect sense, but you have to think about it. So yep. Hassan has learned, uh, you know, the first uh, and subsequent most important LSAT lesson, you'll continue to learn this as you continue to prep that you you've got to sort it out. You have to solve it. It's not it's not multiple guess. Uh, so many people treat multiple choice as like, well, you know, I'll just get in the answer choices and eliminate a few of the answers. And then, uh, you know, the, these are both look good. And it's one of those. Yeah, that's just not doing the LSAT right. You need to solve it. You have to come to certainty that. Yeah, yeah. OK, I see. Can't be any of these four has to be this one. He continues, I started drawing, taking down notes and using diagrams to really imagine the scenario being played out. I don't know if that's in reference to games or something else. Yeah, we don't recommend drawing really unless you're doing games. We don't recommend note taking ever. But in your review, if you're, you know, if, if it's helpful to write stuff to figure out a question, then that could make sense. Sure. Like as you try to explain it to yourself. Right? Well, the last bit there is the important bit. Mm -hmm. he, you're, he's trying to really imagine the scenario being played out. Yeah. Yep. Don't let the words just wash over you and it's it's and it has no meaning. You have to get in there. You have to get engaged with it and think about what they're saying and make it as real as you possibly can. Maybe yep. notes help. It's not something that we teach. I did the test again and I got a 150. Currently, my scores are bouncing between 155 and 158, but I plan on pushing them to the 170s because, as you said, never pay for law school. That's a significant improvement um, already. If you can score a 158 on your official LSAT, that's going to be too low to really go to law school for free at a good law school. But boy, that's a 30 point improvement right there. That's kind of crazy. That's what happens when you start to actually understand the test. That's what yeah. we do. Yeah. He continues. One of my biggest worries is not finishing the test on time. Because I tend to take a lot of time on some questions and my brain keeps telling me to hurry up and finish. Is it common to score really low on your first try and automatically get a much higher score? Do you think I can make it into the 170s? I'd love to know what you think. Okay, first of all, stop worrying about time. Um, we've said that a thousand times. Um, maybe 
10,000 times. <laughs> yeah. But it's a very, very common concern. It's a concern that almost everyone has, but it's also the thing that's holding you back. So tell your brain to shut up. <laughs> no, your problem, Hassan, is not speed. Your problem is accuracy. You need to get better at the questions. If you get better at the questions, then you'll start to kind of accidentally have less of a problem with speed. Yep. It'll click and then you'll go to the next question. Great. Yeah. You're going to get there by immersing yourself in the test. 120 to 170 would be literally the biggest improvement we've ever seen. So, you know, I'm not going to speculate on whether you can make it into the 170s. That's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, you know, can I understand the test a little bit better today? And uh, the way you do that is you thoroughly review your mistakes and, you know, hopefully you're over time, I'm sure your scores will continue to creep up. But it's going to happen from accuracy, not from speed. People who score in the 170s don't miss questions. I mean, you miss very few questions if you're going to score in the 170s. So you have to get them right. It's not impressive to go fast. Anyone can go fast and just miss them all. Yep. You have to go slowly enough to make sure you're getting them right. And we'll see what you max out at. Yeah, one way to think about this is people scoring in the 170s are getting a very, very high percentage of the questions that they do correctly. So if you want to practice and like a 170 score, then start getting a very, very high percentage of the questions that you actually attempt in the time that you have correct. I get a very high percentage of those correct, and then you're starting to behave like a 170 test score even if your test scores don't show that yet. And over time, those habits will continue until you start completing, as you said, Nathan, accidentally more questions. And that's great. Now you're a 170 year because you've been one all along. <laughs> you've just been waiting for that, your, your understanding to help you naturally go faster. Yeah, you can't slip up. You try to go fast, you're going to start slipping. Yep. And you drop a question or two in the first 10 and it's like, well, OK, so the ship has already sailed on you scoring 170 now because you made you missed too many of the easy ones. This email from Ola, a current student in our um, classes right now, uh, Ola says, wow, you guys are the best tutors in the game. I'm finally understanding LR like really understanding it. You guys are like Greek oracles, LOL. Thanks again. <laughs> just a nice note. But I mean, I put it on the agenda because it's like I just want to demonstrate, you know, a student who really struggled before he came to us. And then now it's like because of really common sense advice, just you need to actually understand it. You can actually understand it. I guess that's a foundational premise huh? that 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 makes maybe us different. It's like, we believe that you can understand it. We believe our job is to help you understand it, not to teach you a bunch of gimmicks where you can like find shortcuts and just try to get it right, even without understanding it. That's that's just not what we do, because that's not reliable. And that will never lead to scores in the 170s. I had to look up Greek oracles. All right. Tell me. They are women chosen by the gods through which divine advice would be spoken through them. <laughs> Great. 
Cool. Okay. Happy to. Happy to I didn't that. know it was if it was divine or not, but yeah, we do want you to understand the test <laughs> at least. Okay, this next one is anonymous. Um, hello, I'm a 20 year, 28 year old, currently working in policy development in the public sector. I graduated with my master's in public policy in 2019. I was pre-law in college and have been in an on-again, off-again relationship with my LSAT prep course books for about six years now. Jesus. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's not a good relationship. If you're going on and off with somebody, probably time to find somebody new. Um, never seeming to get past a few practice exams and chapters in my course books. Well, maybe the problem, yeah, the problem is not necessarily the LSAT. The problem is that you're trying to start a relationship with these books and these books probably suck. My biggest regret is going to grad school instead of law school after college. And now law school seems unattainable due to my age. You're 28. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> 28 in is life. so young. <laughs> 28 is totally normal for law school. You're crazy for thinking you can't go to no, law school. No, the average at age is like 26. However, yeah, I fine. know the, I know the longer I wait, the further out each of this, the further out of reach this goal will goal will be. Any advice for a serial studier with no follow through? Yeah, get get the fr demon free at least and start drilling. It's ten times easier than using course books. You'll do one actual problem the second you open it. And you can then review the explanation for it, learn from it, and then do another one. Just do it one rep at a time. Get a new, yeah. get a new partner, basically. <laughs> Try the demon for a month. If you can't stick with that, you should just give up on the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's designed to be easy, easy, one step at a time. Well, and, and I, I do want to make it clear here that if you honestly believe you have no follow through, like in life... You're not going to be a successful lawyer. Lawyers are lawyers have follow through. So I understand that you haven't been following through with whatever these books are. Yeah. And so my I have two hypotheses. It could be you. It could be the books. If the only way you're going to find that out, though, is to try something else. So get rid of the books. Devote yourself for a month. Start with demon free. There's at least two weeks worth of stuff there that you could. I mean, if you really used all the resources there, you could study for a couple of weeks with demon free. Consider doing one of our plans for just one month. And really devote yourself to it. And if you can't follow through on that, if you don't see yourself making progress, then I think I, then my hypothesis is, yeah, it's you. And this is just not the right thing for you. Yeah. And that's fine. That's to I'm not judging you. I'm just that's totally fine. That would actually sounds like re re uh, eliminate some angst. Right. You, you're saying your biggest regret is not going to law school after college. Well, you need to stop regretting that one way or the other. One way is to go to law school. The other way is to determine that this is not a good fit for you. That it's not something to regret. Use that regret to motivate you to make that decision. I, I think that's really what you're regretting is the negative feelings you're feeling about making a bad decision and now continuing to like dabble. It's hard. It's hard to be in that gray area. Excellent. Good luck, Anonymous. Uh, Robert says, hi, guys, I really recently came across your podcast and I found it very helpful. I was wondering if I could have a little bit of advice. I recently graduated college with a 3.6 GPA. Ever since I was little, I have always wanted to go to law school and be an attorney. 
I hate hearing that. And that just never does anything for me. Yeah. Well, what about your little self <laughs> knew what was best for you? Little kids adult? don't know who you are going to be as an adult. You also have no idea what law school is or what attorneys do. I mean, it, it just you don't know what that even means. So the fact that you always wanted to do it since you were a little kid is like, it's not a good reason to go now. You need an adult reason for wanting to go now. Um, that's kind of a red flag for me, just based on my experience with thousands of students over the years. School for me has never come easy, but I have a hard work ethic and I love to learn so I've always had really good great grapes, really good grades. <laughs> it says grapes. <laughs> okay. um, 3.6 is not really that great. Not for this field. 3.6 is good. It's fine. But it, it's not really good. I, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, yeah, I have a 3.7. So my grades kind of suck. So. I'm really going to rely on an LSAT score here. Yeah. Or people who have 4.3s, right? <laughs> yeah. However, what it has come to the LSAT. Oh, you mean when it has come to the LSAT. It had me realize how dumb I actually am. Never say that. Don't say that. If you say that, you, you believe it. You have to. You, you can't have that kind of self-talk. I began studying last summer for just a couple hours a day. That's great. A couple hours a day is more than enough. I would try and get a basic understanding of the test, knowing that this past spring, I would make it my life. Uh -uh. We don't like that. We don't want you to make it your life. We want you to continue to study an hour or two a day. Yep. So in the beginning of May, I took my first diagnostic test since I began studying last summer and received a 138. This was a few points higher than what I scored last summer. So I knew I was doing some improving. Um, not necessarily. You, you weren't really studying. over <laughs> that long of a period is I, not good. Well, and I don't know what you were doing. You studied an hour or two, a couple hours a day. For six months. Well, summer all the way through May. Wow. Almost a year. Yeah. Sounds like almost a year and didn't do any tests, which is crazy. You don't have to do full tests, by the way. You can do one section at a time, but you should be monitoring your scores over time. You know, every other week or whatever, you should be kind of figuring out what a score is. Yeah. And there's so much noise in the data that if you had scored 134 on your first one and 138 a year later on your second one, that doesn't necessarily mean any improvement at all. Um, oh, my God, this is horrifying. I then bought two prep courses and a tutor and have been studying consistently 35 to 40 hours a week. Why two prep courses? Why not just one? Why two prep courses and a tutor? Yeah. Why not just find a thing that's going to work for you and do that thing instead of being all over the place with 100 different things? I quit this my gets, job. This gets worse. 
I quit my job because they were not very accommodating to me when I asked to work only a couple hours a week because I wanted to devote all my time and attention to the LSAT. This is a terrible idea. I mean, you, you need to have a life and an income is a good part of a life. And you you can't put all your eggs in this LSAT basket. Um, with all this being said, this morning I took another practice test and I still scored a 138 and only finished half of each section. Yeah, you should only be finishing half of each section if you're scoring 138. Matter of fact, I don't think you even need to finish half the section to score 138. I think you could do like the first 10, get them all right, guess on the rest, and you'd already be in the 140s. So your strategy sucks. You're trying to do too many questions. You need to slow down and figure out what you're actually doing. I have tried with the help of my tutor to break the LSAT into each of the three sections and dive deep into understanding the concepts of them, period, not capitalized, and with the countless of hours of studying each section. That's like a broken half of a sentence. Um, okay, <laughs> you don't need to dive deep into understanding each of the three, the concepts of each of the three sections. You need to do one question, one passage, one game, and really understand that one. Uh, I'm worried that this tutor is teaching all sorts of theory and for sure. And now this is just getting, it's getting complicated. That's why yeah. this Robert needs to feels the need to deep dive. Robert, these questions make perfect sense at your level. First 10 questions in each section, they make perfect sense. You're just not making sense of them. I'm not judging you for that, but I'm telling you that that's your problem. Your problem isn't theory. Your problem is that you don't. It's not that you don't understand the concepts. It's that you're not reading carefully enough. You should get into the 140s tomorrow. And the way you're going to do that is by slowing down, reading more carefully, figuring out what it says, figuring out what they're asking you, and then choosing an answer that answers the damn question. And stop thinking about anything your tutor has told you about strategies or whatnot. For sure, fire your tutor. Probably get rid of these two courses that you bought. <laughs> you, need to, you need to pay more attention to the actual questions themselves. Real LSATs. One question at a time. Yep. Trying to understand how the test works and understanding each concept I still have obviously not improved. Yeah, that's because you're missing the one concept, which is it means what it says. What does it say? What is it asking you? What do those words mean? You've got all these weird concepts that some lame tutor tried to force on you, and that is not helping you at all. Not only is this extremely disappointing and frustrating, but it's making me start to realize that maybe my dreams won't come true. A lot of people who are close to me have got into law school. I've tried to use their negativity. Oh, wait, sorry. This is kind of a wall of text. It's hard to it's hard to read. Oh, no, that's right. I've tried to use their negative. Why are they being negative? Oh, wait, sorry. I skipped a, a whole line. OK, my bad. Sorry, I'm old. I'm blind. A lot of people who are close to me have told me, there it is, that I should not try and go to law school and it's too much stress and that I would never become a lawyer 
even if I got into law school. There it is. Okay, got it. Uh, who are so these you, people? Are they, I mean, <laughs> maybe it does actually sound like decent advice. I hope they're just giving it to you in the right, uh, you know. Well, that's what we tell most people. I mean, yeah. like, Robert, we should make this clear that, you know, our the tagline of the show is don't pay for law school. But a really good way to do that is to not go to law school. Mm hmm. Like we consider that a win. If people don't, if people decide not to go, we're like, oh, good. There's a big world out there and there's a thousand other things you could do besides this. Yep. And when you're scoring below 160 on your official tests, there's a good reason to believe that maybe this isn't the path for you. Now, on your official tests after prep, to be clear, we yep. see people all the time go from 138 on their first test to 164 on their official and get a scholarship and it's like okay well that's maybe okay the the ones that we get excited about though are more they're usually like practice test in the 140s or 150s and then they end up in the 170s and then it's like yeah okay go to a great law school for free okay cool that might be a good decision for you i mean yep. it's still true that lawyering is unhappy unhealthy and unethical as we talked about on a recent podcast and you know, like we're real happy, even when people with 170s decide not to go to law school. We're like, yeah, probably a win. Um, anyway, Robert says, I've tried to use their negativity as fuel to try and help accomplish my dreams while also taking care of myself, both physically and mentally. However, with seeing no improvement over the last 10 weeks, it's really starting to make me really think that this will never actually come true. I was hoping I could have some advice. I'm registered to take the August and September LSAT. Oh, my God. Because that's all I can really afford without working. Robert, you should not be registered for the August and September LSAT. Your practice test scores are nowhere near us. Uh, <laughs> nowhere near being ready. Unregister. Don't register for a test until you're happy with your practice test scores. You're not ready and you're not going to be ready. After seeing this last diagnostic test, I'm really concerned that they were right. Any advice would be grateful and it would it doesn't make sense. I would be grateful for any advice and it would really mean a lot if I could have some helpful tips or whatnot so that I could improve my score. I wish I bought LSAT Demon, but unfortunately, like I said, money is tight and I'm trying to do the best I possibly can. Thanks for your time and sorry if I was rambling. Thank you, Robert, so much for writing in. I hope you don't think that we're attacking you. We're not attacking you at all. Ben, you have some advice for Robert. Where does Robert go from here? So right now, today, what you can do is you can get a demon-free account. You don't no. have to pay for the demon. Get a demon-free account at lsatdemon.com. Log in and click on drill. And I would start with logical reasoning just do one question. And as Nathan said earlier, you need to understand what that question is saying and then answer the question as best you can. Don't worry about any previous strategies. When you hit submit, you'll be taken to the review section. There you can see video and written explanations for that question. Don't leave that page until you understand that question. If you don't understand it, even after reviewing the explanations, hit the ask button, which is on that page and ask our team a specific question that, about the question that you're working on. Say, I'm confused about this. I don't understand why X, Y, Z is true. 
please explain, and they will get back to you within 24 hours. Once you start to see how the test is a lot easier than it seems like you've been making it, and you start to see what we're saying, I would fire your tutor, I would quit those courses, and I would get your job back. Get yourself on solid footing, and then start studying for the LSAT one to two hours a day. Yeah, you're not going to law school this cycle, Robert. You're not, you're not prepared. You're not close to prepared. You, you, this is, you're going to, you need to take some time to do this properly if you're going to do it at all. And it's all going to come from just understanding one question at a time. That demon free account is going to do you a world of good. It's going to help you way more than your tutor ever did. It's going to help you way more than either of these courses that you bought. That's a bummer. Do the demon free account. Make the most of those resources that we've made available. Keep listening to the podcast. I love Ben's advice to get a job. You need a job. You need an income. You need not to be putting all your eggs in one basket crazily. You know, just it's just you're you're like shooting for a miracle here for August and September LSAT. That's not that's not happening for you. It's going to be a long uphill battle. Yeah, but. It's just one one step at a time. It's just one question at a time. Oh, withdraw from those tests too. Yeah, I don't want them to be. <laughs> yeah, withdraw used up from the August and September LSAT. Do not waste your official attempts, because that's what you would be doing. You would be wasting your attempts. You're just clearly not ready. So withdraw. You might get a refund for September. Too late to yep. get a refund for August, but you can. You maybe get a refund for September. Even even if you don't, it's still not worth it to take it. I don't care that you spent the money on it. You're not ready. You're not going to have a good score. And you don't so, want to move your test date forward because that's going to cost you another 215. You don't know when you're going to be ready to take it. So just get out of those tests and get as much money as you can. That may be zero. Yeah, and that's fine. You should be doing more practice tests. I mean, you know, you could schedule a practice test for August. You could schedule a practice test for September. You could treat mm -hmm. them as if they were real tests. Find out, but how not you're those doing. tests. We're not talking about the official tests. <laughs> not we're the official test. Not the one that costs two hundred fifteen dollars. Or in Law Hub, we don't care. Yeah. All right, Robert. Good luck. Write us yep. back. Let us know how it's going. You want to read this one from Cash? Yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've been listening to you all for about two years. Ever since I decided I wanted to go to law school. I've been actively studying for the LSAT for about six months now, and I'm finally starting to see some improvement thanks to the demon. I am a senior undergrad student getting a bachelor's in legal studies and hoping to apply to law school this fall. I'm scheduled to take the LSAT in September. I know I'm late and apply in late September forward slash October. I'm feeling pretty good about the test and I've completed my personal statement, diversity statement, resume and letters of recommendation. My practice test scores are in the mid 160s right now, so I figured with a month of studying left, I could get into the 170s. I initially wanted to go to a big school like UT Austin or University of Chicago just to get out of Louisiana and increase my chances at a successful law career by going to a highly ranked school. But I listened to an episode of the show a few days ago about how it's better, quote, better to be a big fish in a small pond, and I honestly never considered that before. Now that you mention it, I know I can easily be a big fish here in Louisiana while not so much in Texas or Chicago, since the competition would be a bit stiffer. 
My local schools are ranked T3s and T4s, excluding Tulane, which happen, which I happen to attend currently. With my 3.85 GPA and a 170 plus, fingers crossed, LSAT, according to the scholarships calculator, sorry, according to the scholarship calculators, estimators, 509 reports, I'll be slightly above average at Tulane and Loyola, I can't say it. Loyola. Loyola, Loyola, thank you. Loyola and significantly above average at LSU and Southern with good chances at being in the top of my class. So I guess my question is, would it be better for me to go to a really low ranked school like LSU or Southern where the competition is lower and I would be guaranteed a full scholarship or take my chances at going to Tulane or even at a higher ranked out of state school that probably won't give me a full ride, but will probably will provide better job opportunities. I know what you're going to say, go for free, but I really want to go to a better school exclamation point. Am I giving rankings too much power? Is it more important that I excel in law school than in my law schools, than my law school's reputation slash prestige? Um, <laughs> the magic about going to the best school you can go to for free is that you are going to the best possible school, but because you're going for free, you don't have the risk and you're going to be in the top of the class. So you're basically going to the best school where you can be the big fish. You have a much better chance of being at your top of, at the top of the class. We should, we should make that clear. It's not a guarantee, but yeah, you're yeah, there sure. It's not a guarantee, but I mean, you got a full ride. Yeah, like they're gonna your grades. Your LSAT is better, significantly better than the most of the other people there. LSAT and GPA do a really good job of predicting how successful you're going to be in law school. So you're much more likely to do well. It's not a guarantee, but you're much more likely to do well if you're there on a scholarship. I do think you're giving rankings too much power cash. I also think that you're crossing the bridge way before you come to it. No, yeah, you, you don't to... know what you're going to get. You got to wait for those offers, offers to come in. You may get some offers where you're going for free to one school and then you have to pay $5,000 at another school, but it's significantly um, higher ranked. And so you say, hey, that's worth it to me. Fine. That's your decision. We see crazy shit all the time. People will yeah. get denied by Berkeley and then get into Harvard. Yep. Or just all kinds of weird stuff happens. So you need to apply broadly, Cash. The thing, all of these questions are questions to ask us a year from now when you have your offers in hand. Yep. Get your very best LSAT you can get. That's step one. Don't You just shouldn't be worrying about any of this stuff until you have the very best LSAT you can. Yep. Then apply in September, which, you know, Cash already says I'm taking it in September and then I'm going to apply in September, October. OK, that's not optimal, but OK. It sounds like Cash's first attempt. So I feel like you're you're giving up an opportunity to take it multiple times and let just chance increase. It's a score. terrible idea, Cash. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. Your your practice tests are in the mid 160s. If you knock it out of the park in September, then OK. But like, what if you barely squeaked out a 169 or something and then, and you then settle. apply? That'd be dumb. You could yep. apply next year with a 175 potentially. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think you should take the LSAT officially 
as many as five times between now and next September, then apply. So September is your first attempt. That's fine. But take it repeatedly until you have the, the 175 or whatever that you might be capable of, then apply broadly in the beginning of the cycle uh, instead of mid cycle. And the yeah, you need to apply to 15 schools cash or 20 schools. So, you know, these like very narrow, it's just not, oh, well, there's these couple of law schools here in in uh, Louisiana and then there's UT and University of Chicago. <laughs> it's like it's a big world out there, man. There's like so many other law schools and you need to cast a wide net to get yourself the best offer you can get. But some school will be like, yeah, we want you. We're a pretty good school and we want you. And that's the school that you should go to because it looks like you're geographically flexible. And why not be a big fish in a small pond at the highest level? You can do that. Yep. Cash then followed up with this uh, link from this is an old story from above the law. I had never seen it before. The title of it is the tier system within the law school tiers, according to Shell Oil. And the thing about this is that so this is Shell Oil back in 2010, and they were advertising for an in-house position. Yeah. So this is in-house counsel at Shell. Okay. And. The author made a real big deal about one part of their application. It, it said that Shell is willing to accept applications for graduates from all four tiers. Unlike U.S. News, Shell recognizes and defines the tier two schools, number 51 through 100. And then tier three, I guess, is 101 to 150 and tier four <laughs> is below that or something. OK, but. So Shell said at a t if you went to a tier one school, you have to have graduated in the top 40 percent. If you went to a tier two, two school, you have to have graduated in the top 25 percent. At a tier three school, you have to have graduated in the top 10 percent. And at a tier four school, you have to have graduated in the top five percent. So you have to have done well no matter where you go. You don't have to have done as well when you went to a more competitive law school. And so Cash found this and he's like, hey, you know, if I want to go in house at a company like. Well, <laughs> Cash might be a little confused here because Cash is saying I ran across this article this morning about how some big law firms, namely Shell Oil. Shell Oil is not the big law firm. <laughs> Shell Oil is the company hiring in-house attorneys taking them away from big law firms. Yeah. And the important thing, Cash, that you need to recognize about this particular job posting is there was another requirement, which was you have to have at least 10 years of legal practice before you can ever get this job. I found it kind of bizarre that Shell, why would they care? It, it seems kind of dumb of them. Right. Wouldn't shouldn't they be much more interested in what you've done in 10 years of actual legal practice? Absolutely. What big <laughs> law firm are you at and what's your reputation there? And yada yeah, and, yada. <laughs> and because the big law firms tend to have that exact same. I mean, it is true that big law firms do hire in a very similar manner. Yep. 
with so presumably the, the law firm you choose is already going to filter out these lower candidates. Uh, yeah, that, I I just thought it was worth showing you, Ben, because it seems so strange that Shell was putting that into their own job posting. Yeah. It's back to the two X rule, right? Like, yeah. Apply first, get your offers first, then think about the two X rule. If you get into a school that, you know, is whatever ranked 15th in the country, like UT, and then you get into another school that's ranked 31st in the country and they give you a full ride. Well, that's a significant enough difference. <laughs> Although, ironically, according to Shell Oil, they're not because they're all just tier one. Yeah. Top 50. Yeah. They put them all <laughs> Which together. Is so weird. But anyway, um, that's where the biggest differentiation takes place, actually. Right. right? That's <laughs> the difference that should matter. Is, yeah. Yeah. Between, you know, 10 and 40. But yeah. anyway, um, if if you're faced with a full ride at a school that's ranked 30th and a school that's and then a pay tuition at a school that's ranked 15th, well, then maybe you have a decision to make there. Um, ben and I would still always, I think, advise you to take the money because it reduces the risk of just a lifetime of misery. Anything else for cash? No, thanks for writing cash. I think you have Noah. Noah says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I hope you're both doing well. I've been utilizing the demon as a live subscriber for two months now, and I feel like I have become plateaued in my learning. My ratings have not changed much, and when I do timed sections, I have been consistently getting between minus five and minus eight. What should I do to try and get over this hump and keep improving? Focus on the minus five and minus eight that you're getting wrong. Why are you getting wrong? What did you do wrong? Yeah. What actual individual question did you miss? Yep. You're a live subscriber. Come to class. Ask us about your actual mistakes. The way you're going to improve is stop making the same damn mistakes every time. If you're at a plateau, it's because you're making the same mistakes every time. Also, plateau after two months of studying, I... Yeah. I think you might just be reading too much into some recent test scores and I realize your numbers aren't going up, but there it's gonna it's gonna come down to the questions you got wrong. And it's not just the questions, it's the question, the first question you got wrong. What happened? What happened there? Figure that out, and I guarantee you you won't make that same mistake again if you figure it out. Yeah, that's funny. I don't do very much private tutoring, but when I do private tutoring, I uh, and I used to do a lot more of it back in the day, but um, students would come with a section and they had missed eight questions. Yeah. And sometimes in the review, they're like, well, this number 23 really. And I would be like, no, no, no. Let's start at the beginning. Let's Mm -hmm. look at the ones that you missed in the first 10. Yep. And there'd be one or two that they had dropped in the first 10. And it's like, hey, you're minus eight. It's not because of the ones you missed at the end. It's because of all of the ones that you missed on your way to the end. And you probably shouldn't have even done some of those questions at the end because you needed to invest more time on the ones in the beginning. Yeah. And as you talk to them about those early questions too, right? They would tell you, oh, no, 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 I I get, yeah, I understand seven. I just, the small little uh, mix up there. Okay, cool. Can you just explain it to me now? 
and then that, it's and then, and then not, they stumble all over yeah, it and it's clear and that they don't really understand no they think they do they think they do they're not, right. they're not lying to you they just don't get it my second question is in regard to admissions i do not have the strongest gpa my first two years sorry i did not have the strongest gpa my first two years of undergrad 2.85 and then 3.15 Due to a series of unfortunate family issues and a hard time adjusting to being a Division I football player at a challenging academic institution. Okay. Uh, you don't really need to explain that to anybody. I mean, it is what it is. Yep. I don't care about the reasons. Yeah. We, I don't, and I don't think the schools care either. I certainly wouldn't like make all of those excuses. Yeah, That's which like is it? three Family excuses issues at once or football or challenging academic institution. <laughs> which one is it? Yeah. And never say challenging academic institution, by the way, because all law schools are challenging academic institutions. Yep. Unfortunately for me, it was not a football school where my tutors would do all my homework for me. <laughs> That's not unfortunate for you. That's I actually mean, a good thing. <laughs> that's a really good thing <laughs> that you actually had to do your undergraduate work. Presumably you learned something while you were there, unlike football players whose tutors do their homework. So I struggled amidst these circumstances. Yes, we know your GPA. We can tell that you struggled. However, my junior year, I got a 3.6 GPA and then transferred to a state university closer to home for my senior year slash summer semesters. I graduated from there with a 3.98 GPA. How would I address such drastic changes in my GPA during the admissions process? Okay, so Ben right now is going to write your addendum for you. Okay, you could take notes. This is your entire addendum right now authored by Ben Olson. <laughs> All right. Um, for the last two years, of college, I graduated with, I maintained a 3.98 GPA. The end. <laughs> I mean, so Noah, nobody gives a shit about any of these excuses. Yep. They might give a shit that you did better in your most recent years of school. Oh, I guess it's your last year. So in my senior year, I graduated a 3.98. Yep. Or you could lump together your junior, senior year and have that be a 3.85 like or whatever yep. it is. Yeah, you could do that. I but do like that 3.98. Yeah. But yeah. Maybe, maybe both of those facts. Yep. My junior year, I got a 3.6 GPA. And in my senior year, I had a 3.98. Well, that's it. And, and that's it. You're, you're demonstrating to the schools that your most recent years of academic performance are better than your LSAC GPA. Yep. And that's all you need to do. They're they're going to see your blended GPA. So all of this averaged out is going to be like a boy 3.4. I mean, the great thing about this is it's always gone up. Thank God for that. Yeah, that is Unless great. People go up and then go down. At least you're going up always. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could eat, but I wouldn't bring up the 2.85 or the 3.15 nah. because those are lower than your blended GPA. Assuming your blended GPA is 3.4, they're going to go, oh, 3.4. That's not that great. Then they look at your addendum and you go, I got a 3.6 and a 3.98 in my last two years. Yep. That's pretty good. They might be willing to give you some credit for that. Yeah. 
Okay, should I be limiting myself on where I apply or just not be surprised if certain higher tier law schools turn me down? Well, the numbers don't lie. I mean, go to lsatdemon.com scholarships, put in your blended GPA and your LSAT score, and then see what kinds of scholarship offers you're going to be likely to get. But yeah, your grades are going to hold you back. Somewhat. I also was in the Navy. I am not sure if that will have an impact on my application process and in what capacity I should include it in my application. Oh boy, that's a broad question on an entirely new topic. Well, first of all, it's going to be on your resume. Second of all, uh, when you write your personal statement, I don't know how long ago you were in the Navy, but often people have good stories to tell from the Navy that shows leadership or something. You being yeah. a badass. I would definitely tell a work story probably um, from the Navy. That sounds great. Yep. Depending on how old you are. I mean, Division One football player could also be a pretty good justification for a, a personal statement. But sure. if that was a long time ago, I might rather hear what you've done since then. And it sounds like the Navy maybe was since then. Yeah. Good luck, Noah. Come to class. Ask us these questions in class. Great. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 361 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. 